Welcome to today's edition of Daytime Dialogues. It's uh, my great pleasure, honor, and joy to welcome a dear friend, Rabbi Yaakov Glasser, um, who is in a different role than the last time we spoke to him, not as not on his rabbinic hat. He's still the rub of the young Israel of Passaic Clifton, a growing and a dynamic shul in New Jersey, but he has become the managing director of the OU communal of OU communal engagement, working with agencies within the OU, expanding on so many of the things he had done before when he was at NCSY, when he was at the Center for the Jewish Future at YU and bringing his great talents to Klal Yisrael. So Rabbi Glasser, thank you so much for joining me today. It is an absolute honor and pleasure to be here with you, as long as I don't get any of your Chicago weather. Well, I'm sure you you will get our Chicago weather about a day and a half after we get it. It generally refines itself by the time it hits out on the west and the east coast. So, in your new role in the OU, you know you're seeing a lot of things. And the OU is also going on through some transition with a new president, Mitch Ader, who has his own Chicago connections. Uh, Rabbi Glasser, I don't know if you know this or not, but Mitch Ader's brother is, was the founder of Milt's Barbecue in Chicago. So he has great yichas here, but he's doing great. I love that in Chicago, a restaurant has a founder. I, I oh. love that in Chicago. <laughs> well, just yeah. an owner or a previous owner, a founder. It's an institution. It's a, it is. It is. <laughs> it is. And But... With the OU and with what you're doing today, what are what are the big challenges that you're addressing that the OU sees on the horizon? Obviously, the cost of uh, of living an orthodox life, uh, all of the uh, questions of assimilation, anti-Semitism, all of those big things are there. But what else is out there that we're that you're trying to address? That's a great question. You know, we we know that the world is evolving at an increasingly rapid pace. Um, and so solutions and approaches to even the same issues that work at one point in time, um, and it used to be that a programmatic approach or just generally a, a mahalach in terms of how to address an underlying communal issue, it used to be that with creativity and thoughtfulness and some investment from communal infrastructure, you could create a pathway that would work for a substantial period of time. When we think about our youth group constructs and even our own synagogue constructs and the way uh, schools operate and all these different pieces, um, it used to be that this would endure for quite a bit of time. And in the world we live in now, the shelf life of a great idea and a program making the type of impact it makes is a much shorter runway because the factors are just changing so much. I'm sure that you are aware, and I'm sure your, your audience is aware um, of this new technology that has emerged uh, with regards to artificial intelligence that could formulate original and thoughtful ideas uh, in response to all sorts of inquiries that you pose. I had the chance to speak about this in shul for a while, um, recently over Hanukkah. Uh, this is a disruptor in terms of how we're going to internalize information, create information, deal with information. And, you know, the ability of the Jewish community to kind of pivot to different issues and the ways in which those issues are manifest in our community, I think is the most important shift that organizations need to make right now. Um, and that is not to become entrenched in legacy programs and legacy uh, approaches to issues, 
but rather to create the type of infrastructure that has a much greater entrepreneurial culture to it so that when we encounter a challenge, we encounter an issue, we can generate a response and a reaction to that issue, and then we can move on and generate the next response to the next issue or the same issue in some sort of other form. Uh, give so me a, a, well, give me a practical example. Give, give me a, I, I know you mentioned the AI and ChatGPT, but what would be a practical example of something that we have taken on as a legacy that we just need to change? Look, sometimes the, the legacy component is the structure itself. And sometimes the legacy component is the way in which the structure is positioned to play the role that it's going to play. So let's take a, a, a structure that we're both very familiar with, and that is the synagogue. Um, I, I see your background has a beautiful background of, uh, of your wonderful shul that I have had the privilege uh, to be in a number of times. Uh, my background is blurred. Um, but it's also a beautiful shul. Um, it's not usually this blurred, only when I speak too long. This is how people, this is how I imagine <laughs> see me. This type of, uh, you know, when I go on and on. But, um, you know, the notion of a central space of communal gathering and communal interface and the ability to coalesce around a value system um, and to be with each other and to reinforce and edify each other's ideals and priorities and to support each other. That is something that began all the way back in the times of the Mishkan, when Kal Yisrael walked out of Mitzrayim and it was a total disaster because we worshiped the Cheda Ego and the Kaddish Baruch who says, I'm going to give you a Mishkan, I'm going to give you a space where you can experience the presence of the Rabbon Shalom on a communal level in a communal and in a communal organization, and there are roles and there are different rituals and there are all sorts of, and that becomes the base amigdash and that becomes the mikdash ma'at and that is what we are all you know relating to today. So that fundamental notion is not what I mean by a legacy idea that we you know shuls are archaic and we should you know all leave them. But but the way in which we tend to sort of um, kind of crystallize the schedule of the shul, the rhythm of the shul, the programming of the shul, the different roles in the shul, the ways in which Balabatim and rabbinic personalities interface with each other. All of this um, can be creatively explored to try to determine how to position this type of communal institution in a manner that resonates with a new generation that's looking for new things. And as we've discussed before, um, COVID certainly accelerated that process, but it did not create the need for that process. That awakening was already happening before that. And, you know, this notion that like we're looking for different approaches and different things and different outlets. I'm going to give you an example um, in my show. Okay. So I'm a, I'm a, you know, we have a, a beautiful shul, a nice range. You could describe it as modern orthodox, but I think it's got even a little more range than that here in Passaic, right? It's all relative. And um, so our shiurim and our shul are exactly what you'd expect. We have the Smichas Chaver program and we have a Dafa Shavua and our, uh, we have a Nachyomi women's program and we have, you know, many different types of learning programs. So this Elul, this Elul, I gave a series at Shalashudis on different Sifrei Musar. And I did it the way a good, 
why are you musmach with doing? You know, I, the history of the book and the author and a little taste of it. And, you know, like a nice heck if, like a really, you know. So a guy comes up to me at the end of this series and he says to me, Rabbi, we would like to start like a Musr Chabura in the shul. There's so many different intellectual shirim. Some of us want something a little more experiential, a little more personal, a little more working on ourselves. So I looked at him and I was like, I can't imagine like a lot of people want that. Like I've, I've never, I've never heard that request. I've never even gotten that request. I've gotten the request. We don't want to learn sukkah. We want to learn Kedushin. I've gotten the request. We don't like the theme for Smichas Chavar this month. I've gotten the request, you know, different requests, but no, no one has ever come to me in my shul and said, oh, you know, it'd be great if we could really get together and like figure out what's wrong with ourselves and work on it and improve. And, you know, I was like, I, what are you talking about? So, but, you know, what are you going to do? It's Elo and this guy's asking for this. I figure, okay, we'll give in. So I say to him, Thursday night, you come, we'll have a Musr Chabur. I showed up with a safer and two photocopies, one for him and one so that it wouldn't look so bad that I had zero confidence that another person would come. And I was expecting basically a Muslim. That was what I was expecting. Maybe three people. I walk into the room, Rabbi Mitanki, and there are 40 guys sitting in this room. There are doctors and lawyers. There are businessmen and real estate guys. There are musmachim. There are dayanim. There are rabbeim from the local yeshiva. And they are all sitting there ready to go. We have this shir. And every Thursday night, we've been doing this Musr Now, not only do we have, as every shir now needs, a WhatsApp group that has, here's the shir, here's the recording, here's the, you know, but there's a, a sub-community WhatsApp group that when we want to work on something specific in our religious development, so those who are ready to manifest some degree of vulnerability, go to this group, we convene in this other group, and the rule is you can't be in this group unless you're gonna post, you can't just watch other people work on themselves. And we all work on things. So we were developing life missions. We were working on how we make decisions with more intentionality, we're doing all sorts of different things, more patience, more different midos that we were working on. And it became a macro community of people connected to the Musr Chabura, a micro community of people who wanted to really delve in. And all of a sudden, shul was not a lean back, passive experience of listening to the rabbi talk at you for, you know, for 20 minutes on Shabbos morning. Or if my wife were here, she would say 27 minutes on Shabbos morning. It, all of a sudden, it was a full on. And by the way, I'm part of the group. I don't lead this group. I'm also posting things that I'm working on and struggling with and dealing with. So I created within the group, first of all, a certain degree of um, equality between the rabbinic lay dynamic. We're all working on this together. I'm not just the sage on the stage, you know, that's, that's pontificating here. And used leverage technology in a way that people are dealing with all the time. And all of this was emanating from the shul, but it was a totally different type of experience. That's an example of you know, trying something new. But it's still it's still within the rubric of the shul with a rav. It's a different kind of shear. It's not, you know, when I was growing up, there was no, 
there were no shearing for Dafyomi in a typical shul. They learned Ein Yaakov. And you would have between Menachemarev at most, you'd have Kitzer. You know, it wasn't what we have now. The population changed. We shifted what we are producing. Today, there seems to be a, a greater uh, urge to deal with elements of spirituality. I think part of this is where the, where, where the Musser comes in. In my shul also, Thursday nights, I found myself for the very first time in my life having given a Musser schmooze. Uh, apparently, Thursday night's a good time for Musser, and I never had given one you know, before. You know why, right? Why? You know why it's Thursday night? No. This is what I tell everyone. It's basically the men come, they leave their wives to have to deal with Shabbos so they could come together and talk about Shalom Bayes. <laughs> basically what this is. And you have to have Cholent with it getting ready for the of Shabbos. Of course you have to have Cholent. Of course yeah. you have to have Cholent. But, but, but it's still within the same... You know, it's still within the same rubric. We haven't, and I don't know if we should be or could be changing things. You know, using your model of the Mishkan, we are a people that believes Barovam Hadras Melech. We're a people that believes in community. We're 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 people. Whether it's a minion or a mizumin, there's always a collective that's involved, and we have communal structures and we have hierarchies in the community. So what you're describing in the shul is fascinating, and I think it's a reflection of so much that's happening, but. It's not a major shift. It's just a minor readjustment in some ways. I would say that it is indicative of more of a paradigm shift in the sense that as more and more, I know this is happening in our shul, I know if it's happening in your shul, um, as more and more initiatives are driven, not exclusively by people sitting in a room trying to decide for everyone else you know, what's going to comprise their religious experience. But there is more of a participant-driven um, sort of like energy that's coming that has a more creative, more out-of-the-box, let's not just look at this in the parameters of these four walls. And by the way, it's not only in the shul. The shul is just one example. There, this very program is another example. And there are many other, and there are many other examples of ways in which the community, more broadly, is not necessarily only within the shul structure, but even within what we define as a community, even what we define as, you know, the typical and standard organizational structures that take care of things. You have groups in, in you know, in our community. I'm sure in yours, you have informal groups that gather to take on different causes and different opportunities to contribute to people and to support people and to give to people. You have uh, different, even in terms of learning, you have things that are outside the shul that are not just individualistic, but clusters of these micro communities that are gathering in different ways. So shuls have to adapt and shuls have to create a greater range of landscape and flexibility in order for some of those things to be able to anchor in the shul space as well, so that that also remains an energized, you know, space of connection for people. But you also have to create the space and to recognize that people are not tethered the same way uh, that they used to be. You know, you have people whose Dafyomi Rebbe, they've never met. They're thousands of miles away and they've gone through shas and a half uh, with these types of people. In terms of some of the things that are going on in the OU, so a lot of what we do is we try to, you know, we try to hone in on national challenges, on national opportunities and national solutions. Some of that involves 
convening different types of people around a specific issue. Some of that involves in engaging in spaces where we can utilize the network of communities that are part of our space and also our partners' spaces as well. And we've been quite expansive as you have to be today, as, as you have the opportunity to be today. Those lines are not the same in either direction as they used to be. Um, and to be able to look at some of those issues. So I'll give you an example. We have this initiative is actually spearheaded by someone from Chicago who you know well, Rabbi Karish. You know, we have a, one, of the, one, of, one of the incredibly complex um, issues that people face today is parenting. Um, there are so many pressures aside from the financial undertones of Orthodox communal life. Um, there are so many pressures in how to advance a value system that is so countercultural um, to the next generation in a space where the environment and society itself um, is so individualistic and so focused on this autonomous, whatever does it for me, which is so, so rejects the notion of authority and hierarchy and all these things. And what does it mean, even from the moment they're three years old and certainly through the teenage years, you know, what does it mean to bring our Masora, which is ancient and we believe authoritative and wise and and godly and spiritual and real and true into a world that that doesn't really resonate with a lot of those notions. And so we've actually been working very closely with a curriculum that was developed um, at a university, I believe it's University of Washington, um, where for decades, a research-based curriculum relating to parenting, contextualizing that into a framework that speaks to the specific scenarios and issues that our, our, uh, our parents struggle with, and then bringing people together as a community of parents to work on this, to hear presentations, to share workshops, to go home and try different things, to come back and convene together, to be able to address in real time. And a format like this, as opposed to publishing a book, which again, in 15 years from now, could end up being totally irrelevant because of the ways in which society evolves so quickly. This is a framework that allows for adaptability and evolution and, and creativity and innovation and all sorts of, of uh, different ways in which you can adjust things and evolve things. So you know, that's an example of a space. And we're looking now at scaling. That right now exists in three communities in partnership with many institutions within each of those communities. We're looking at expanding that program uh, beyond as well. We are doing an enormous amount of support for um, financial health of people's lives, which is, of course, a major, major issue. We can't, I mean, I shouldn't say this. Maybe the OU can change the economy. I, I shouldn't speak for anyone, you know. Um, but, but I don't know that we can fully, you know, uh, harness all of the forces at large that, that make our communities the way they are. Obviously, some of our challenges are a result of our choices. Um, and as that is true, one of the things we can do is educate ourselves in how to make healthy choices uh, when it comes to, and responsible choices, when it comes to our finances and our styles in terms of uh, standard of life and the ways in which we interface. You know, we say uh, in terms of emotional issues, we always tell people, 
as rabbis, you know, when you're counseling people, you can't always control the, the person who's, you know, confronting you, but you can control how you react to it. So you, you may not be able to control the economy, but you can control the choices you make and the decisions you make in terms of how to navigate it. And to that end, we have a series of different podcasts that address different issues. We have a series of different um, workshops that address this. We have coaches that we can deploy to people. We are taking people who have healthy um, financial perspectives. And this way you can, because really people need very individualized guidance. This isn't working anymore to stand up in shul and tell people, don't be materialistic. That, that, that's not, a, that's not a, a manageable message to a family in, in, in 2022, 2023, right? That's not, that's not a manageable message. What is manageable is how do the glassers make this decision? How do the glassers decide based on where they're raising their children? What else is going on in their environment? What types of things, you know, work and don't work for their family? You know, to what extent, you know, just pushing it out, uh, create a sense of expectation for the family that's hard to pull back in. How do you relate to the social expectations? You know, now it, it is true. We need the leaders of our community to really push on the value, the values aspects of this. And that's important. What do our weddings look like? What do our bar mitzvahs look like? What do our bar mitzvahs look like? What do our shalom zachars look like? Who would have ever thought? I, I, I don't know if this has reached Chicago. The weather may be coming uh, east, but I think the some of the materialism is probably exporting from the east and the west. Yes. And, so uh, it probably takes a little longer to reach uh, the I, middle. I, in all of this, so it's fascinating is, you know, when the OU started, it was the um, Union of Orthodox Jewish Congregations of America. Now we refer to it as the Orthodox Union. It sounds like there's been a shift, and not recent, but I think it's been a, um, uh, accelerating a shift from the client of the OU being the synagogue to the direct, it's a direct sales to the consumer. That B to C is what we yes. call it in the OU. What it was called? Business to consumer. Business to consumer. It's and so on the one hand, one of the big challenges we have is is supporting synagogues, and on the other hand, the OU is delivering the services around the synagogues. Not as a criticism, it works. The all daf and the dafyomi, from what I understand, is more than a smashing success. That it's a phenomena that exists that people are using from every imaginable community, right, left, and you can go further right and further left than that. And there's is more that, to come. There's more to come. We're working on many more pieces of that. Okay, uh, is that a um, is there a, a, a you know an unintended consequence of direct consumer to uh, to perhaps changing the role of a shul? Is the is the OU becoming the mega shul of America? It's a good question. It's a good question. I don't think so, because I think at the end of the day, while you can scale programs in terms of like the interface of these different pieces, I, I think we have to realize is that specialization across industry is just a reality of life. You know, it's like, when's the last time? I mean, I go every year to my general physician, right? But a lot of people don't because you were by your cardiologist and you went to your internist and you went to your, you know, the shul still remains the fundamental life cycle center and the rub still remains the live human guiding soul 
you know, that could ultimately inspire people and move people. Um, but reaching people directly is becoming increasingly complex, requires penetration into their technological world, into, you know, a lot of where they are that are outside the shul space, outside of Shabbos. And in that realm, individual shuls are not necessarily like my shul could never produce an all daf. My shul could produce a local daf yomi shir. We still hope that people choose to attend a local daf yomi shir with their rav over an all daf shir any day, although do not tell Rabbi Shwed I said that. Um, we absolutely would prefer that because the relationship that's developed through Talmud Torah with the Rav is exponentially um, more impactful and transformative than hearing it online. But there's a big however. And the big however is, and you know this because you're running a shul, people's lives no longer function with the same structure and rhythm as they used to. And when you announce that your Dafyomi Shir is at this time and in this place and with this person, that's not how everyone's life is functioning with anything else. You, you don't go to the bank and stand online and wait to speak to the teller. You do it from wherever you are, whenever you want, to whomever you want at any time of the day. And that is becoming increasingly true with almost every aspect of life. And so there needs to be a larger national infrastructure that people can connect to that provides, you know, the best of what our community can offer. I don't think that'll diminish the shuls. I think what it does is it creates clarity in terms of space. And if it's done right, it can empower the shuls. And most importantly, one of our most treasured departments remains and will always remain the synagogue initiatives department. That's actually, I'm sitting here um, in the next room, um, my next meeting is with Rabbi Adir Posey, who's our director of synagogue services, and Rabbi Naftali Herman, um, who also does incredible work with Rabbanim in that department. This entire space is dedicated and devoted to supporting boards and supporting infrastructures and responding to challenges that arise in shuls and providing opportunities to convene rabbis to generate new ideas, more entrepreneurial ideas things that are out of the box, to be able to call us rabbis to deal with different issues that are coming, you know, uh, that, are, that are part of uh, what's going on. We're in the process of, the OU has a research department that does studies on the Jewish community. And we're taking some of that data and convening rabbis in small groups so that we could present some of the data and work together with rabbis and lay leaders to figure out how we can address many of these issues not just from the disposition of our gut feeling or what I like to call Shabbos lunch conversation, but from an actual empirical, you know, source of instructive information that can help us formulate approaches that are rooted in, you know, real life reality. Uh, sometimes we like the reality and sometimes we don't, but dealing with the reality. So there's an enormous balance, but yeah, I, I think it's... Uh, this so, is the world, Rabbi Matanki. No, this I agree. I, and and I, what I find fascinating is I'm just wondering, you know, with the picture of my shul behind, let's call it what used to be called a, a shul. Nowadays, I think it's referred to as a mega shul in a sense, because it's got a large sanctuary. Uh, and with all of the challenges of the small minyanim, and we have more shuls opening up every year than I think we have yeshiva high schools opening up every year, uh, which is more than we had in the last um 
century opening up in Chicago. But those kinds of changes are changes that are happening and we need to be ready to respond to. Uh, it's, it'd be very interesting to see what the projections are of these populations and these focus groups. You're talking about where they think our community will be in another 10 years, 15 years, and forget 50 or 60. But in five, 10 years, will we have large shuls or will there be just a lot of small shuls with a lot of rabbis, with a lot of personalization and all the rest taking place? Yeah, and I think we have to take into account, you know, as rabbis, we have a certain pride in, um, and as rabbis of, a, of coming from a, a specific space, again, I, I, we're not exactly the same age, but we, we, are, we began our rabbinate in similar spaces culturally in terms of, of where things were up to. Um, I think our conception of success of the sermon to the big audience, you know, because those were our role models. The Rabbi Lukstein speaking to KJ, the Rabbi Schachter speaking to the Jewish Center, you know, like like these, you know, are 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 in our imagination that is the measure of success. That is going to change. That is going to change because the world has changed, and people are not looking for one singular message that is accessible to a multiplicity of people. People are looking for much more specificity and personal resonance and individual connection. And so what's going to happen in shuls is rabbis who could let go of the old measure of success and create environments where multiple types of engagement can happen in different ways with different people um, those shuls as mega shuls will continue to thrive. And rabbis who entrench themselves in this is how we do it, and if you like us, great, and if you don't, don't, will continue to have a very devoted following, but only as many people as resonate with a very specific, you know, uh, you know part of part of what they have to offer. And, and, and I think that we've, we've all learned that lesson. And I think some of what you have done in, in your community speaks to that, you know, in terms of creating new models and new spaces geographically, in terms of personalities, you know, that speaks to a, a recognition that that has to happen. Do I think we're gonna be building in the next 25 years sanctuaries of that size? Not likely. I think that we'll be building different types of structures that could accommodate different realities. And if we don't, then there will be many shuls. And I think that as Rabbanim, we cannot make the mistake of defining our goal as being the rabbi of a shul. Our goal is to be the rabbi of a community. The fact that more people want more individualized, resonating experiences that speak to their spiritual proclivities as a, as a portal to their avodas Hashem is something we need to find a way to celebrate because it's an evolution that has potential for greater religious commitment. It's something we have to find a way to celebrate even though we feel a little bit threatened by it in terms of the models that we are used to. We cannot come out as Rabbanim and say, well, because everyone wants these individual smaller places, like that's gonna be the demise of the community. It cannot be our response 
because we're just going to be relegated to, you know, to antiquity. They're just going to look at us like we don't get it. And our response is to be, we, we love that more people want to dive in, in a way that speaks to them, but we have to figure out how not to lose the, the dynamics of community, how not to become so self, you know, uh, you, you, you put yourself in a little box. You don't benefit from the richness. You know, my shul has a lot of diversity. And people grow because of that. They learn from each other because of that. We're going to lose that if we develop, you know, a, a shul for Yehuda, a shul for Yehuda and a shul for Shimon. So we have to find ways to do that. But the way to do that is not to trash what people want and, and force everyone into a big room. We have, to find, we have to find ways to do that. Rabbi, our time is up. I love ending on this message. And I thank you for all you're doing for Klali Yisrael. And I look forward to the next time you're going to join us because we need your support, your ideas, creativity, and most importantly, your enthusiasm. Uh, thank you so very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Have a great day.